Let's bring in my friend Ted Robinson, who is, I think, one of the most versatile and gifted broadcasters out there. Ted, good morning to you. Hey, good morning, Gordon. Nice to hear your voice. Nice to hear yours. We were together in Pyeongchang at the Olympics. You were calling speed skating. I was doing hockey. Um, I want to. T- I want to start with. We'll talk tennis in a moment because we're both passionate tennis people. We'll get to that in a minute. I want to talk to you about what's going on in the NFL these days. And and obviously, Richard Sherman has been pretty outspoken about the way the games are being called. Um, what's been, from your perspective, doing 49er games, what's been your sort of up-close analysis of what's happening? Well, Gord, I have a little different viewpoint, perhaps, than a lot of, you know, I, obviously Richard Sherman's a pretty bright guy and respect his opinion. My, my take is a little different, given that I've done college football games for much of the last 20 years. And a similar rule has been in place in college football for the last, five, I think, including an ejection element, which doesn't yet exist in the NFL. But the targeting foul in college football can result in ejection. Right. And, and the, the, the reason that I say that is that it was, it's, it's been a very tough transition in the college game for everybody, for the players, for the coaches, for the fans, and for the officials. They don't like being put in that position. But the game and, and all the structure that you know that we all talk about is demanding this. It isn't going to reverse. So now fast forward to your question on the NFL. This is going to be, to me, a massive growing pain in the league this year if the officials continue to call the fouls as we've seen in the first two weeks. My hope is that this is, an, it, this is like a lot of enforcement. There's an initial push, and then hopefully there's a correction in the way the game's played and guys back off once the season starts. That's what I hope. If not, there's going to be, I think, a significant fan problem. Right. And that's, and that's one of the things that has to be balanced is as much as you want safety. We talked to Paul Tracy yesterday, the, the IndyCar driver, about trying to make IndyCar racing safe. But the fact is people want cars going as fast as possible, and they like risk. Yeah, yeah Gordon, it's funny because that's the analogy I've used around, around us, even with some of the 49ers owners in the first two weeks of the year. As I said, if you go to a NASCAR race and you can make the car as safe as you want, you can make the driver's equipment, the harnesses as strong as you want, there's always going to be the risk of crashes. You can't have the race without it. And football has similar things. There's always going to be the risk of a violent collision, of a significant knee injury, leg injury. Uh, you know, And unfortunately, there will always be the risk of head. They're trying their best to lessen those risks, to protect the players as best you can. But you can't take it out unless you just play flag football. So, uh, you know, it, it's... I also, though I'm very, uh, where I live, Gore, I live in, in, for those who don't know, in in San Francisco Bay Area, and I hear it all the time from local coaches. Participation in football here is down. Right. Um, We're we're a fairly well-educated area, uh, and I think parents, with all the options that exist here, are telling their kids, hey, go play lacrosse, go play water polo, go play tennis. Um, Football's down, and I think it's happening on both coasts of the U.S. Well, the L.A. Times reporting yesterday it's down dramatically in California, not just Northern California, across the state. Yeah. So we were just in Houston over the weekend to play a preseason game with the 49ers, and that's what I said. I, I was telling friends in Houston, I think I will live long enough to see, if you draw a line from Houston around the Gulf of Mexico all the way to South Florida, that is where the vast majority of football players will come from probably in the next, within the next decade that will happen. There will still be pockets in the U.S., certain pockets where players will come from, but that's going to be the bulk. It's going to be a very geographic sport. 
What what's your impression? Is Richard Sherman? I mean, he's always been outspoken, obviously, but is do most players agree with him? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, Gord, I think if, if they could give truth serum, <laughs> uh, they absolutely would. And, and you know, we had a rugby player with the 49ers three years ago. Right. Uh, the 49ers signed a guy named Jared Hayne, who was a top tier rug rugger. Brought him here, and he had a fabulous camp, and he was with us during the season. But he, the, the just the nuances of yeah. trying to play professional football, the learning curve was way too steep for him. But I did talk to him while he was here about the tackling issue. This is three years ago, and he was basically showing me how rugby tackling is taught. And he said, if you don't tackle like this, you don't play. You're right. immediately thrown out of the game in rugby. And you know, that's probably where football is going in a certain period of time. If you don't tackle shoulder first, um, you know, once we get past this initial enforcement period, if you don't tackle shoulder first, you're just out of the game. And that is some, something like the college rule, and it's hard. It's really hard on defenders, but it forces. It forces change. And the other thing, Gord, it's going to do, to me, it's going to make a lot of people play offense. <laughs> a lot of young right. football players but, but where we they s- still do play are going, to, are going to want to play offense. We saw a flag thrown for Jacksonville where, where a running back put his helmet down and he got called for a penalty. Yeah, and that's, that's very – I've watched the NFL videos, the ones that are being sent to the coaches and to the players. I get to look at those, and that's their point, is that this is equal opportunity. It is – and the rule, as written, Gord, is incredibly broad. It does seem. It, it does seem yeah. that it does seem. Got, yeah. Yeah. There's no. There's no mention of forcefulness or intent. It's just, hey, if you lower your head and you hit a guy in the knee, the foul's on you. Right. Um, San Francisco has been interesting in football terms for a couple of years, and for a bunch of reasons, and and not the least of which is, it's where the whole kneeling during the anthem began. And and it remains a conversation. You were there when it started, and you've watched where it's gone to. How do you feel about sort of the the evolution of what began as Colin Kaepernick's protest against police brutality turning into a fight between basically NFL players and the president? Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny, Gord. I think you, you, were, you were going there where I was going to head. I think what it's exposed is what's existed previously, which is a fight and a rift between the NFL players and the owners. I I think that's really what this comes down to. And I think the guy in Washington, D.C. is just playing off of that. He he understands brilliantly how to use things like that to his advantage, to play to his political advantage. So now, put that aside, where is it for football? I just think the NFL... And the NBA, to me, Gord, if you just look at the, co- the constitutions of those two leagues, those are the two leagues that the vast majority of the players are African-American. And the NBA, take it a step further, has a fairly diverse crowd base, particularly here mm-hmm. in California, where I live. You know, it's, it's the most diverse, uh, in terms of race, uh, of professional sports crowd I've ever seen. Why doesn't the NBA have this problem? Why does the NFL have it? And that's a question I've asked of some of the 49ers execs, thinking that would be the question I'd be asking. And I, I don't think, Gord, there's any doubt that part of the answer is that the NBA commissioner, Adam Silver, has done a brilliant job of bonding with the league's better players, right. the ones that carry the flag for the league. Roger Goodell has not done that. And as a result, there's a huge chasm between owners and players that's going to lead to a pretty significant labor situation for the NFL in 2021. Do you think we'll ever see Colin Kaepernick play in the NFL again? No. 
No. And I'm not sure, Gord, I can't say this factually because I haven't spoken to him in three years, but I don't, I'm not convinced he wants to play. I wasn't convinced he wanted to play the last season he was with the 49ers. I don't think football was a priority for him anymore. That's his right. Sure. But uh, that's completely lost in the conversation about him because now it has become all about the the social stance and not about football. So I want to switch. Now, we got to talk about the 49ers this year because I think the Jimmy Garoppolo story is one of the most interesting stories in sports. I really do. I mean, he's 7-0 and as a starting quarterback in the NFL. How good is he? <laughs> well, man, he was awfully good those five games last year, Gordon. <laughs> he, elect- he electrified a fan base that needed something. Right? Right. The, the 49ers had a good run of three years with Harbaugh as the coach, and um, other than that, it, outside of those three years, it's been a tough 15 or 17 years. So, the fan base got lifted, and that's huge. The players love the guy. That's clearly most important, and it's why the combination of those two things that the organization gave him a huge contract in the offseason. Uh, he has the poise and the presence that you want from that position. He carries himself in a very confident yet not arrogant manner. He has the arm talent. There's no question about that. And I'll tell you, Gord, I think the only question left to be answered about Garoppolo is how does he handle the bad game? Because <laughs> he hasn't, ha- <laughs> that hasn't happened happen. yet. <laughs> right? The game where he throws three picks, the game where he gets sacked nine times, the game where he fumbles on a strip sack on the drive to try to win the game. It's going to happen. It just hasn't yet. And that's the only thing to me that we really don't know yet about Garoppolo. Okay, now we got to switch gears because you are, as I mentioned, uh, I think the preeminent voice in tennis and have been for a long time, and we're both big tennis fans. Um, U.S. Open coming up. Serena Williams is the 26th-ranked female player in the world. She'll be the 17th seed at the U.S. Open. I understand the way it works. That's, that's one of the most unusual circumstances we've seen in a long time, isn't it? Well, it's unprecedented. We, we've never had a, a champion uh, return after giving. We've had players come back from, from giving right. birth before, um, most notably Kim Kleisters, but no one near the level of, of Serena. Lindsay Davenport, also my, one of my partners, they both did this. Uh, but I, I, I think what has happened with Serena this year, for the most part, Gord is 100% right. I think we're, where we've advanced in our world today, no longer can anybody feel penalized or set back. Um, by giving birth. I have a daughter that gave birth last year, and she works in Silicon Valley where the, the maternity policies are incredibly advanced, much right. to their credit. So I, you know, I just don't understand anybody that would argue against that for Serena Williams. Now the question becomes, can she, can she show up with virtually no preparation uh, and win the U.S. Open? She damn near did it at Wimbledon. So, you know, we've learned to never count her out yeah, you know, she's a month from her 37th birthday. Uh, and, and here's the other thing, Gordon. You know, I saw her in person in Indian Wells in March, and the reports now come out. She was weighing 200 pounds when she played that match. I, I would not argue that because she, she shouldn't have been out there. And fast forward to July and to watch her play at Wimbledon where she had lost a good portion of weight, yeah. and she looked not quite like the Serena of Young, but closer and she gets to the final, I will not put anything past her at the Open. And on the men's side, Rafael Nadal will be the top seed. Roger Federer is ranked number two. Novak Djokovic, Novak Djokovic sixth. 
Andy Murray, remember him? <laughs> is coming back, <laughs> is coming back, and and hasn't played in a major I think since last year's Wimbledon. Ted, I I gotta say, as as a fan of the sport, I don't know if we realize how lucky we've been the last fifteen years to have this many great players playing at the same time. Imagine if, to me, imagine if Borg, McEnroe, and Sampras were all in their primes at the same time. That's what yeah. we've had. You know, we were close in that when we had Agassi and Sampras together. Um, but this threesome, and now that Djokovic has regained his form, Gord, I think we can say that after what he just did in Cincinnati, um, that it's back to being three again. And it's extraordinary. My first Wimbledon in 2000, Pete Sampras became the all-time winningest Grand Slam champion. And we thought we'd never 13th. see anyone like him. Right, he's 13th. <laughs> okay, so now think about this. The top, so 18 years later, the top three men, uh, Djokovic, Nadal, Federer, have a combined 50-5-0 major championships. That is truly sick, and we'll never see it. And now the the, the beauty of what Djokovic has done is that he has every reason to believe he can keep going again and that he can continue to win and that it isn't just Rafa, can Rafa catch Roger? Hey, Novak might catch them. Uh, he's only 31. And, and since and, he seems to have his life straightened out, his tennis has gotten much better. And Federer won in Australia. I mean, it's not out of the question. I mean, he hasn't had great results at the U.S. Open in recent years, but he won in Australia not that long ago. So, I mean, could he be a factor? Well, he's a factor for sure. No, he's definitely a factor, Gord. I, I you know, I, come on, he's, I think we're all in this thing. He's 37, he's defying father time. I'm not sure how much more we can ever ask a Federer in that regard. And what we've seen, I think, a couple of times, we saw it in the semi, the, the quarterfinal, excuse me, that he lost at Wimbledon to Kevin Anderson, and then a little bit in the final to Djokovic this past Sunday is that there are days he looks 37, mm-hmm. and suddenly he just misses balls that he shouldn't miss. And that's, to me, nothing more than, hey, if you're a human being, you wake up at 37 after playing the sport for 20 years, and you don't feel so great. And you miss balls you never used to miss. I just uh, So I, I've seen that a few more times this year from Roger, and it's saying that he's still the number two player in the world. All right, we got to go, but I got to ask you, you know, the Olympics, Wimbledon, French Open, all these great events you've done, the NFL, where does being the analyst on Minnesota North Stars broadcasts in the early 80s <laughs> rank on that list for you? Uh, well, I, well, Gordon, I spent some time together in Korea, and Gordon was gracious enough to take me around and let me see some hockey, because I started as a hockey announcer a thousand years ago, and yes, I had, but it was phenomenal. I, hockey was a great sport for me to get my entree with, and uh you know, there are days, Gord, I think we had a few of them together in Korea where I wish I had stayed with hockey, but uh, but, but I have no complaints where yeah. life and, and the career took me, and especially tennis. And you referenced that. I fell into tennis by complete accident 30 years ago, and it's been the best thing that ever happened. It's a great sport, and uh, versatility is a great thing. And, Ted, you are really one of the great versatile announcers out there. Great talking to you, my friend, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for the kind words, Gord. Take care. All right. That's Ted Robinson, the radio voice of the 49ers, the voice of tennis on NBC. He's broadcast the NFL, Major League Baseball, the NBA, you name it.